Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board has voted to eliminate the Student Police Liaison Program. What happens now? Why does CSIS think Canada is a permissive target for China? And the kids are getting a new math curriculum. Will the parents have a clue? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right. uh, This week, the Hamilton-Mountworth District School Board had voted to eliminate the police liaison program. Uh, Cam uh, Galladino was with us, trustee, yesterday from the board and had this to say about canceling the program. You know, what what we saw in the community was uh, some very effective community organizing by uh, groups that historically have been marginalized. And uh, what we did at the school board last night was we heard those voices, we amplified those voices, and we realized that we have some pretty serious concerns with the liaison uh, program uh, in its current state. Uh, And for that reason, we also acknowledge that the role of police in schools has evolved from its original mandate. All right, uh, that was Cam Galladino, trustee for the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Uh, let's bring in Superintendent Will Mason, Community Mobilization, Hamilton Police Service, and is on the line now. Will, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am. I am. Thanks very much, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, and to our other Will at production, my intercom is stuck, FYI. Sorry uh, here, Will. We're having uh, some technical issues. Um, so, first of all, Will, your thoughts on the uh, cancellation of these programs uh, that have obviously police officers in school as a liaison program, uh, your thoughts that uh, the one with the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board has uh, been canceled? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're obviously very uh, disappointed with that decision. Uh, we, we feel that the program has a lot of positives for uh, a great number of students. Um, it's meant to build, build relationships and engage with students and, and present police uh, to students in a way that uh, we don't want the first time students uh, encounter police to be when something bad happens um, and have that impression of the police. So try to build those relationships in advance um, so that uh, they view the police in a positive light and as, and as a part of our community and, and help build some trust and engagement and things like that. So we're obviously disappointed uh, in the decision of the board. We respect their decision. Um, and, then, and now we're going to just regroup and try to look for a way forward as to you know, building uh, those relationships in other ways. How was this program, how did this program start? How did it originate? Because I remember when these programs were introduced, they were lauded as, as uh, you know, a way to bridge that gap. Um, how did it start? What changed? Uh, well, I mean, it, it started, uh, it's been in place in Hamilton, I believe, since uh, 1994. Um, and it's been part of uh, our community for the past 26 years. Uh, the officers interact with teachers and students at schools throughout the city, conduct presentations, and as I said, they do a lot of uh, relationship building. So some uh, some non-traditional things that uh, you wouldn't typically picture the uh, a police officer doing, such as taking part in a pottery class at a school or taking part in a reading program or um, playing basketball with kids in the gym or just sitting down and talking to them. Uh, so it's... Um, the, the concerns that, uh, the, that some students expressed with it and, uh, that were brought forward to the board, we were, we were hoping to do and we're looking forward to doing a review and look at, uh, if we weren't achieving the results that we wanted to with all students, take a look at a review and see where we could, uh, adjust and, uh, you know, get those outcomes that we have been looking for if we weren't achieving them with all students. But um, unfortunately, uh, the board chose to terminate the program altogether, so we won't have a chance to make those adjustments, at least with the public board at this, at this stage or at the, with the program in the, in the current uh, format. Uh, were you aware that it needed to be tweaked or that there were concerns there? Uh, some concerns have been brought to our attention, I would say, uh, earlier on, but we, and that's, that's why we're looking forward to, as I would say, an evidence-based review to take a look at, 
um, what are the outcomes, and uh, and we were looking forward to and and uh, more than happy to participate with the board, and that was going to be the chance to address some of those concerns as they were brought forward, but. Uh, um, that was going to be that opportunity to address uh, some of those concerns. But that was, as those were brought forward to the board, that was the the initial um, of us hearing that there were these significant concerns. So uh, your thoughts on the, the reason that, that some want this removed is that they feel threatened by police, that having them in the school is is more threatening than relationship building? Um. Well, and I, I mean, I, I take that to heart. I mean, we don't want the police, we don't want people to feel threatened by the police. We do realize, I realize as a police officer, that if I show up somewhere in uniform, uh, for some people, that will uh, cause them to be a little bit nervous or anxious. Uh, the reality is we are people in the community just like anybody else, just like, just like teachers, just like radio hosts such as yourself. Uh, we come from the community. Many of us live in this community and have children that go to school in this community. Um, so we're part of the fabric of the community as well. And, uh, yeah, certainly I can, I can understand how some students might say, I find the presence of that uniformed police officer in my school um, initially uh, causes me some anxiety or, or causes me some concern. Um, I guess my counter to that would be that if the only time they they see uh, police officers in their school is when something bad happens, that that, that association will be mm. more heightened. Um, we'd rather have the chance to have them get to know us when something bad isn't going on, um, when we're not called there for an incident, and we have a chance to sit down and talk and, and have people see that we're just people in this community just like anybody else. Is this about the program or is this about the awareness of uh, systematic racism? Uh, I, I can't really speak to that. I, uh, as I said, we, for us, uh, this particular piece is, is uh, what we've seen and we've been told. It was about the program itself. Um, as far as the systemic racism piece, if there was something in the review that pointed to that, again, we're more than willing to make those adjustments. Well, what do you say? And I mean, you know, let's be honest, it hasn't been the, you know, a good few weeks, months for police in general. Um, and, and police are taking a lot of heat. And, um, there, you know, there's a lot going on. What do you want the public to take away from this? What do you, uh, as a police officer, as, you know, as a superintendent, obviously someone with a lot of years under the belt, what do you want the public to take away from all of this? Uh, I, I think it's important to remember that, uh, that, as I said before, police are people in this community. Right. We, we recruit from the human race and, uh, we, when we stumble, um, we look to try and do better. We look to learn from those situations. But uh, police are, um, we don't want people to view the police as this uh, just a badge um, and this uh, faceless entity. We, we're people in this community. We, we're moms, we're dads, we're brothers and sisters, we're fathers and sons, uh, mothers and daughters, and uh, we're part of this community as well. We uh, do a lot of things. We have a ton of officers who contribute a great deal of their own time uh, to causes, a variety of causes uh, that they believe in in the community, and do that uh, and do that to be part of the fabric of the community and because they believe in it. Um, and ultimately, uh, I think everybody who's a police officer will tell you they, they signed up because they want to try and help, um, and they want to try and do something to affect positive change. Um, and, you know, so I, I would hope that people would keep that in mind, um, that uh, there's certainly a lot of things going on in the media, but uh, we are we are people in the community, and, and we're looking to try and do some good. Uh, the fact that this program was can the police liaison uh, student liaison program was cancelled in schools rather than updated. What does that kind of message send? Uh, does this make the service look inward? Uh, certainly, I mean we're, we're going to look at uh, 
you know, are there things we can take from this and try to uh, take with us moving forward? Um, we look forward to any feedback uh, that we do get. Um, and is there some way we can we can change, we can make adjustments? But part of that is working with and listening to our community partners as they tell us uh, what the impacts they're seeing are. Uh, so that we're we're able to, and we have that opportunity to make those uh, adjustments. Uh, lots going on in, as you said, uh, in the media and in and in social conscience and society and such. Uh, lots of chatter to defund the police, um, which uh, is a discussion that I'm I'm still trying to get more people to talk about, simply because it's it's a very broad statement. And up until now, we've been asking the police to do more and more and more, whether it's mental health uh, relations, whether it's uh, hate crimes, whether it's cyber crime, terrorism, or whatever. So it's a, it's, a, it's a weird place to be in because we're asking them to do a lot. Now we're sort of saying, well, they can't do it right. We're going to defund them. Are we asking police to do too much? Well, I think there's, uh, and the, the province has come out with, and I, our uh, Deputy Chief, Deputy Chief Bergen, sits with the city on uh, the Community Engagement and Wellbeing Plan, and that's that's around upstream thinking about uh, putting resources uh, ahead of the problem uh, and getting some of those resources in place so that we can stop uh, involving police as much or to as great a degree in some of those more social issues. Uh, and I think that uh, very often uh, the police, when when people aren't sure who to call, they call the police. Um, and we will always come and we will always respond. But uh, when we talk about uh, that community safety uh, well-being plan, um, that's a table that we sit at along with a number of partners uh, throughout the community uh, as, and led by the city um, to try to put um, a thoughtful approach to sort of what we call that upstream thinking so that we don't have as many uh, issues down the road. So put the resources at the front end to prevent those problems from occurring in the first place, and then hopefully we won't need as much uh, policing. Um, m- many have said that we're at a turning point, and, and that's all aspects of society, not just policing. Um, again, with what you've seen come down in the last little while, is this a turning point in policing? Is this a turning point in the relationship with society and the services? Uh, well, I mean, the the one thing I, I always tell uh, younger officers, the, the only thing that uh, you can get used to in policing is change. Um, and change is going to come, and it is, it is constant. Sometimes it is bigger change than uh, we've seen in the past, but I've seen a number of changes throughout my career, and I'm sure I'll continue to see a number of changes. And we have to get used to that, uh, and and we have to adapt to it uh, as time comes. And if there's uh, different perspectives that come to bear, we have to listen, I think, thoughtfully, um, and take that into consideration. And And if there's a way we can do better, I think most every police officer would say to you that they they want to do that. What is uh, the morale like on the service right now, considering this? Um, uh, what what sort of message are, are the police receiving? Um, are, are they hearing what what people are saying? Well, we still have a lot of a lot of people uh, coming up to our officers, thanking them for the work they're doing, thanking them for continuing to come to work. Um, obviously, throughout the pandemic, we uh, our frontline officers do not have the option of working from home or staying at home. They're they're expected to go out there and uh, respond to calls for service. When somebody calls nine one one, they need to get a response. Um, and very often we're part of that response along with fire and EMS, and uh, together we provide that public safety piece, and our officers continue to come in, continue to do that work, um, and continue to try and make a difference.
So uh, just circling back around here, uh, uh, Hamilton Wentworth District School Board voted to eliminate this uh, program. Uh, I guess now there's talk in the Catholic Board uh, of this going around. How do you move forward on this? What's the what's the services position? How do, how do they move forward with this? Well, I think um, I can say I, I used to be the youth coordinator for the service, so I've got a, a passion for the work. I think that uh, youth engagement um, uh, pays a lot of positives down the road, and that's part of that upstream thinking that I spoke about before, is having that positive engagement and having youth have a positive experience with the police early on. Um, there's a great number of stories of officers actually who are on the job now that say, I remember when officer so-and-so came to my school, or I remember when officer so-and-so was the beat officer Hmm. on my street. And that was a positive experience. And I really looked up to that person and it made me want to become a police officer. So we still look to create those bonds. And, uh, if it's, if we can do it, in the schools, that's great. If we cannot do it in the schools, then we'll look for other avenues wherever we can, uh, because we feel it's an important part of our uh, of our role and and our service to the community. Superintendent Will Mason has been with his community mobilization Hamilton Police Service. We're talking about the police uh, student liaison program, uh, which has just been canceled by the board. Will, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Good luck with all this moving forward. Thanks very much, Scott. You have a great day. Uh, with the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board having made its decision on the uh, student uh, police uh, liaison program within its schools, uh, the focus is now turning to the Hamilton Catholic Board. Should they follow suit? Will they follow suit? Let's bring in, uh, well, before we bring in Kojo, let's play a clip. This was uh, Superintendent Will Mason, Community Mobilization Hamilton Police Services, just had him on and his reaction to the canceling of this program. Well, and I, I mean, I, I take that to heart. I mean, we don't want the police, we don't want people to feel threatened by the police. We do realize, I realize as a police officer, that if I show up somewhere in uniform, uh, for some people, that will uh, cause them to be a little bit nervous or anxious. Uh, the reality is we are people in the community just like anybody else, just like just like teachers, just like radio hosts such as yourself. Uh, we come from the community. Many of us live in this community and have children that go to school in this community. Uh, let's bring in Kojo Dampke, uh, manager of programs, Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. And Kojo is with us now. Kojo, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, your thoughts on, I don't know if you heard uh, Superintendent Will Mason's comment, your thoughts on what he said and, and your thoughts on this program uh, being canceled. Yeah, I think uh, students, black, indigenous students have spoken. Uh, I think for historically, uh, black and indigenous students have not been listened to. And uh, when they've raised their concerns, staff and teachers and, and, and administrators have always uh, not listened to them. So the commun- communication of all of this action that, was, that happened on Monday is to is to ensure that their agency and their safety is put to the fore. If 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 they don't feel safe in school, if uh, cops are being called in in schools to intimidate, card, and 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 and, and other dubious uh, 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 other dubious acts are being done towards black and other racialized students, then that needs to stop. It doesn't matter whether uh, 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 police. Uh, feel that the program is is good, or trustees feel that the program is good or not. The safety of every student should be uh, uh, prioritized, and black and indigenous and racialized students are not prioritized in our school systems, public and Catholic. Um, uh, was this program, I mean, when these programs were started, they were lauded because this was a, uh, a builder between the community and the, uh, and the police service. You know, the whole idea behind this was to prevent the issues that we're seeing now that are, that are canceling it. What went wrong here? So, yeah, so I think that's a, a little bit of a misnomer. People don't look at things historically. The reason why police were in schools in the first place was because of the no zero, no zero tolerance policy. In the beginning, uh, when, when there were Caribbean in the 70s and in the 80s, 
there were Caribbean teachers that advocated for for public school boards to put more money into addressing issues of racism. But then that money was not uh, 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 put into those issues. And so our government had this no zero tolerance policy, and that led to police being invited into schools, and that continued to criminalize black and indigenous people people and students in our schools. So that was the precursor for allowing such a program to start in the beginning in the 90s. For Because in the 70s and 80s, black, student, black teachers were saying, hey, look, you need to put more money into addressing issues of racism. That wasn't done. Instead, they wanted to have this uh, no zero tolerance policy that led to having police in schools. So, in other words, the community wasn't directly involved in this program. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And that is why now students have taken up their own agency and they are organizing and they are saying that they don't feel safe in schools. And if trustees and and other administrators think that is a reactionary moment, then they, they are not listening and they are doing these students a great disservice. Uh, we also asked uh, Superintendent Will Mason, is this about the, the liaison program or is this about syste- uh, systemic racism uh, within the service? Here was what he had to say. Uh, I, I can't really speak to that. I, uh, as I said, we, for us, uh, this particular piece is is uh, what we've seen and we've been told. It was about the program itself. Um, as far as the systemic racism piece, if there was something in the review that pointed to that, again, we're more than willing to make those adjustments. Your thoughts, Kojo? Come on now. <laughs> the main reason it was cancelled was because of systemic racism. Like, Let's not let's not let's not play semantics here. He didn't answer the question, right? The reason why this program was cancelled was because uh, uh, black, indigenous, and other racialized students are targeted compared to white students, and that means that those students, black, racialized students, don't feel safe in schools. So then the program needs to be terminated. What, what, what were the outcomes of the program? The school board didn't know the outcomes. The police haven't shared their outcomes. If this program was so beneficial, where are the outcomes and where are the metrics? Students gave their testimonials. There were over 100 students that gave their testimonials, former students, current students. That is the evidence. What more evidence do trustees and administrators and the police need to see before they accept that this is an issue of systemic racism? And, and, and I want to just reinforce what you just said, Kojo, because, again, this, is, this started with the school liaison program, which, again, was supposed to, to, to bridge the gap between the two. Uh, that being said, the community views this as an extension of sy- uh, systemic racism. Is that accurate? Yes, it yeah. is exactly what it is. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So what happens now, Kojo? How does this discussion move forward? Well, the, the, the students have made it clear they want other community-informed ways of addressing these issues, right? I know that uh, on Monday, most of the the trustees from the public board were hung on the fact that uh, police come in to give education about uh, uh, sexting and what have you. There are other organizations that do that in the community. So those organizations do it in a a more community-based oriented fashion that ensures that every student feels safe. So those are the organizations that should be called into schools. Those, those are the organizations that should be making uh, 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 relationships with schools, with students, to ensure that we are building a, 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 a just community, a better community, one that is, is informed on care as opposed to violence, right? That is what we're doing. And also, I want everyone to know that 
the termination of the, the program doesn't mean that if an incident, a criminal incident happens at a school, police are not allowed or police can't be called. Right. So that is one thing that people need to understand, right? That the, the termination of the program doesn't mean that if there was illegal activity happening at a school or if there was a criminal activity happening at the school, that police are, are, are not to be called. So we need to really get the facts straight here because people keep uh, 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 thinking that because the, the program has been terminated, that's it. And the last thing is I think the Catholic School Board also needs to look at this critically. I would say, and we, we've spoken to students too, that the same issues that were happening at the public board are the same issues that are happening at the, at the Catholic Board as well. I know they had a meeting yesterday. Uh, we couldn't find the, 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 the audio for that meeting yet. So we'll find out what exactly they are going to do because I know that they also have issues of systemic racism at their board and they will have to start addressing it. Um, Kojo, we have been saying for years, and you know, perhaps the uh, 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 the liaison program is an example or was an example of that, where police need better education. They ne- they need to better understand mental health, uh, race race relations, uh, hate crimes, terrorism, cybersecurity, what have you. Um, and we're constantly asking them to do more. Now we're talking about defunding. Uh, police who fills that gap what what how do we square that when we're asking them to do more yet now telling them to do less was it a wrong approach to get them to do this in the first place um are we asking them to do too much yes i would say that look you know the city of hamilton and the hamilton police board has overseen increase in funding to the to the police services for over years i recall in 2013 when uh, Councillor Terry Whitehead asked the former chief of police to look at a reduction in the budget, he actually said if there was a reduction in the budget, then the liaison program would be the first to be cut. That tells you something, right? So, again, we are saying that stop with, with giving the police increasing funds where most of the money goes into guns, into armored trucks, and start investing in the community, their neighborhood organizations, their uh, community organizations. There are other means of investing in communities and investing in neighborhoods so that the, 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 the issues we are dealing with are preventative as opposed to punitive. When we talk about poverty, are we doing any proactive uh, investment in addressing the issues around poverty. We have an opioid crisis in this city. Have we invested money into that? We are in a global pandemic, and we are asking our public health officials to do all the work to ensure that this COVID-19 doesn't spread. How much money has been invested in public health? Meanwhile, we are investing $170 million into a police into a police service. Our, our public health it doesn't even get 50 million and we are depending on them to keep us safe so we really need to rethink where taxpayers money go and it's incumbent on all city councillors and our mayor to also ask these critical questions because then they are doing us a disservice as well because our money goes into policing while uh, our social safety our psychological safety is not being invested in we uh, obviously in the last uh, uh, few weeks and such, and, and certainly since the tragic death of, of George Floyd, this has become a, a, a front and center issue. Uh, systematic racism, I believe, exists in all organizations as well as police. Is this message getting out? Is it changing? Is this a tipping point? I, I believe so. Um, I think that those changes need to happen. It's incumbent on political leaders and elected officials to to make that change. We just saw a video of an LCMP officer dragging somebody off the ground, right? And Mm -hmm. I think Canadians need to understand this is not an American problem. This is a Canadian problem, right? Here in Hamilton, 
Uh, there was also the, the police, uh, Shevra Abdi, Shevrana Abdi, died at the hands of Hamilton police, and Shevrana was dragged down seven flights of stairs before she died. So people should know that this is a Hamilton issue. This is a Canadian issue. Yes, the 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 horrific and gross display of police brutality that led to the death of George Floyd has uh, uh, become the flashpoint. But these things happen right here in Hamilton. And that is why even today you are seeing that at a at, at council meeting, there were over 100 people that have written to council that have written to council to say, look, you need to start defunding the police and putting that money into transit, climate change, affordable housing, poverty reduction. Those are the things that we need that will keep our community safe. How do we keep this discussion, for lack of a better word, in the center and not to the extremes, where probably nothing will get accomplished? How do we keep both sides engaged in this? So I'll, I'll, let me paint a picture for you. Um, you know, when when you have a room full of people that have food, right, and people are outside that don't have food, and they knock on the door, and they say, hey, can you please give us some food? And they shut the door in front of them, and they keep on knocking and saying, hey, can you please share your food with us, right? And the door keeps uh, keeps shutting in their face. Eventually, people are going to break down the door. Yeah. We've been saying this for years upon years upon years upon years. Look, uh, last year, there was a huge debate about the city of Hamilton starting an anti-racism resource center. And councillors were asking where the money is going to come from to support an anti-racism center, right? So now... When we are talking about systemic racism and people are asking for a defunding police, that is the passion and that is the frustration we've had when we've been trying to talk about systemic racism for years and even for centuries. If we, if we include the systemic discrimination and violence that have been put on indigenous communities and people in this country. How do you move this beyond lip service? Obviously, everybody, this has everybody's attention now. Uh, how do you keep this moving with, with positive change and not just have it be like the past, where it's lip service and, and you know, some, some cosmetic changes and, and, and move on? Well, look, I think that uh, all the organizers and all the people that are doing this work, they've learned from history, right? That is why on Monday you saw that the young organizers went into the street and they live-streamed the meeting so that we heard every little comment that every trustee said, right? And so we are holding that a way to hold people accountable so that now we know exactly what they stand for, what they are saying, and when the time comes, if they are not willing to make that change to ensure that people are safe, there will be a time where their names will be on a ballot and other people are going to run against them and will ensure that people that are open-minded, people that are willing to listen to residents, listen to students, and, 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 and ready to make the real change, those people will be voted in. So now everybody is watching, everybody is listening in, and this applies to all levels of government, municipal, provincial, and federal. Everybody's tuned in, everybody's listening, everybody's keeping track. How significant is this uh, event, the situation with uh, this program being canceled? And again, th this speaks to systemic racism to me more than, than a liaison program. This is just one of many. Um, but, but how significant is this to have uh, spoke up, been heard and now have this action it's very significant because that's how a democracy works that's how we want residents to be engaged in decision making in the government that they've, they've elected so it's it's a huge change like elected officials are meant to serve they are meant 
to listen. They are meant to, to, to take information and to make informative decisions. But we are seeing that currently elected officials don't want to do any of that. They are presented with evidence. They are pre- presented with testimonials. Over 100 people send them emails. Over 100 people calling to say, hey, look, you need to make a change. And all of them dismiss that? No. We are holding all of them accountable. And this is empowerment of their agency and the change that they want to see in their city, in their community. Kojo Dampty has been with us, manager of programs, Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion, talking about the canceling of the police student liaison program. Kojo, thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much for the insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Yes, you too. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Fascinating article on the Global News website, on the uh, CHML website right now, uh, by Sam Cooper. Why CSIS believes Canada is a permissive target for China's interference. Let's bring in Sam Cooper now from Global News, investigative reporter. Sam, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. So let's get right to the question. Why does CSIS believe that Canada is a permissive target? Well, really, it's all about money. Uh, It's more complicated than that in the way that China achieved its ends. But what we found is they have been successful in undermining Canada's democracy through uh, an influence and espionage network that is called the United Front. And essentially what they do is they target influential, powerful people in Western democracies and they offer them sweet business deals or, uh, you know, use trade as an inducement and once that trade is going on with china china uses it as a weapon they they can compel uh, other countries other leaders to to say what they want them to say so this is what the experts told us is is now called elite capture and uh, in very basic terms that is what threatens uh, democracy because you know uh, your your listeners can could maybe look at the current example of the huawei man wanzhou case and uh, critics would say there are there could be some some influential Canadians out there making China's case in in that uh, circumstance, and that could be a problem. Uh, we just heard, uh, I believe, it was the foreign affairs minister uh, had uh, I think about a million dollars in mortgages with uh, a bank in China. I understand that has since been changed. Is that an example of how they are targeting those in? influential positions, maybe helping on one side and then uh, lobbying on the other, uh, uh, pressuring on the other? Well, I think that's a great example of a, of a, a business deal that it, it, it's not a $100 million deal, but it's a, a personal deal. It could fall into a dangerous category. We need to be careful that no one is directly accusing uh, the minister of, of anything nefarious there. But what critics are saying is there's uh, a vulnerability there, you know, let's let's think it through. Could it be the case that, you know, an advan- advantageous interest rate or a, a long-term uh, payback period was offered, and then that could be held out over an elected official? So we, what we saw was the minister, uh, I guess, remedied the situation by paying it out and going to a Canadian bank. But I think it's fair to say that that's exactly the the, the category of dangers that, that experts are pointing to with the way China uses carrots and sticks. Uh, we saw earlier on John McCallum uh, be fired for speaking out of, uh, cer- certainly speaking not in the best interests of, of Canadians and such early on in, in this situation. Uh, is that another example of playing both sides of the fence? Again, we wouldn't want to, uh, without evidence, directly accuse him. But I think, look, any reasonable observer could look at Mr. McCallum's statements and say, could those be read as being supportive of China's foreign policy? The answer is yes. Um, Was there anything going on behind the scenes that that would have compelled him or or made him choose to say those words? Look, I believe, I, I really believe that that should be investigated. He stepped down or, you know, the government remedied the situation. But I think there's more to look at there. Furthermore, you know, my story looked at some very serious cases in Australia. One where a, a senator advocated China's foreign military policy 
after being involved in corruption with a United Front leader who just happens to be a billionaire, real estate developer, casino high roller, may be involved with Chinese intelligence, according to allegations. So, look, the experts are telling us this likely is happening in Canada. Is it that scale or that seriousness? We don't know, but we need to know. I've uh, talked about the United Front with other academics, and they've downplayed this. Um, um, is it as prominent as we think it is? Well, from my research, it, it's, it's more prominent than, than we know. And, you know, again, we look at Australia. We look at what I know that uh, security intelligence uh, officials are saying behind the scenes. And we absolutely, we do have discord between what intelligence tells us is happening and what academics say. But I talked to experts and said, look, our, this intelligence committee review, it sounds alarmist. It, some would even say it sounds like a conspiracy. And they're saying not at all. These are people that have visibility on intelligence cables, diplomats. And, you know, personally, if you're asking for my opinion, after looking at this for a couple of years, I believe it, the, the, the threat is this big and uh, there is corruption going on. This uh, is not being overplayed by intelligence at all. Uh, we have seen China become more aggressive over the last few years. Are allies doing anything to unite against the aggression of the Chinese Communist Party? Well, that, that is the very current debate right now. Uh, we know, I, you know, our research, this story showed that Australia, uh, which is, you know, very comparable to Canada in terms of, you know, a middle power, uh, same democratic system, uh, has taken very strong action since 2018. You could now be in prison for 10 to 20 years if you don't uh, disclose that you are taking benefits from a foreign nation and you're found to be acting for them. Uh, so our, our experts that I spoke to said Canada needs to take those measures. And, you know, Australia has stepped up and, and they led the, the worldwide charge asking for accountability or investigations on China's actions in the pandemic. And it looks like they got hit back with a, allegedly a, a wide-based cyber attack that continues. So, um, you know, to your question, you, in some ways you can't fault uh, Canadian leaders if they seem a bit timid to speak up because you'll get hit. But uh, the debate right now is, do the Five Eyes partners need to come together more strongly to stand up against a common bully? And do they need to widen that Five Eyes pool to, to other nations, such as uh, Japan, maybe even France or Germany? But these are tricky issues, and they definitely are current uh, debates of the day. Why CSIS believes Canada is a permissive target for China's interference. That's the latest by Sam Cooper. You can find it on our website or the Global News website. Sam, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The Ontario government is unveiling a new math curriculum uh, moving forward. What does all of that mean? Let's bring in Sam Ustroff, MPP, Niagara West, Parliamentary Assistant to the Minister of Education, and on the line with us now. Sam, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. How are you, Scott? I'm doing well. Thanks so much. Uh, so uh, give us a bit of idea of uh, what will be changing in the new math curriculum. What is different? What is being taught that isn't now or what will be? Well, yeah, so a real focus uh, in this curriculum is getting back to the basics and focusing uh, on the fundamentals of math. So we're going to see things like uh, a real emphasis on numeracy, an emphasis on everyday uh, math skills, uh, real-world examples, financial literacy skills. For example, students will now have to, as a requirement, prepare a budget, a personal budget, uh, and having a, a, a real focus on having those basic building blocks of, uh, of a good math experience. And we know that, unfortunately, we've seen many uh, students falling behind over the past 10 years. We've seen uh, students who have been falling behind on the provincial averages, fewer than half of grade six students, 48% met the provincial math standard during the last school year, uh, which is down from 61% in 2009. So we've seen those declines and we know we can do better. Uh, so we've, I guess the, the best way to describe it is declutter the curriculum and focused on those fundamentals by going back to the basics and having uh, real world uh, examples and real world applications. I remember when this curriculum that is going to be replaced was brought in, it was a curriculum for the new world. Uh, what happened here? What Did we get off the rails? 
No, uh, what we're doing, I think, is making sure that it actually works. And the reality is, is that what we saw over the past 10, 15 years since this curriculum came in is we've seen uh, our students' math scores decline. We've seen uh, our students struggle to deal with everyday math, uh, struggle to find the real-world application for math. And because of that, as we've seen the world change, we've also seen uh, our students not being equipped. And we believe we have to do better. We have to equip them for uh, what they're going to be facing in the labor market of the future. And we want to make sure that they're able to help uh, we're able to help students solve everyday math problems, uh, enshrine financial literacy in early grades, and better prepare students for uh, the competitive marketplace and the jobs of tomorrow. So an example of that is by really promoting coding, for example, to uh, solidify some of the concepts that they learn um, in the math curriculum and then to be able to also prepare them for where so many of the jobs of today and tomorrow are going. So it's a real emphasis on uh, on practicality as opposed to uh, perhaps uh, a lack of practicality. How much of a change is this, Sam? Is this like a tweaking here and there, or is this like a complete overhaul? Well, I, I mean, at the end of the day, 2 plus 2 still equals 4, um, right. and, and recognize that. But uh, really this comes down to, again, the, the application. I'm sure you've heard, as I have, from many parents who sat down with their children, uh, tried to teach them to help them with the math curriculum, and simply couldn't recognize it, couldn't uh, couldn't see how it was applicable. Uh, there were so many different aspects and strands. It was very complicated, very, um, I guess, almost burdensome uh, in, its, in its approach, and we wanted to streamline it. So I guess that's the best way of thinking about this is streamlining, focusing on uh, modernizing by going back to the basics and, and emphasizing times tables, emphasizing the importance of, of budgeting and, and what that actually tangibly looks like and, and enforcing those units. Uh, I'll play devil, uh, devil's advocate here, Sam. Um, back when it was they don't need the basics because they have a device in their hand and they can get all that information right away, so why do we need to take the time to do that when they're, you know, they're now involved in bigger applications, I guess? Um, how do you address that? Well, I think uh, you know we need to look at what we've seen over the past uh, 15 years. We're seeing students' math scores declining. We're seeing that they're struggling to, uh, in some cases, as simple as you know, providing uh, proper change. That's a, that's a good example of making sure that we're able to uh, provide them with those skills that that they are going to be using day to day. And of course, you know, phones are phones are important, but you also have to have those. Uh, those basic fundamentals ingrained in your in your mind to be able to react quickly in situations, uh, and we believe we can do better. So going uh, from 48 percent, uh, sorry, going from less than half of grade six students uh, passing the provincial math standards, uh, it, we have to we have to do better, and that's what this legis sorry not this legislation, but this curriculum is uh, working towards, and it's really working again also to ensure that they have those skills for the jobs that exist, right? Uh, so it's very, very real world focus on uh, providing them with the skills they're going to need to succeed. Uh, what about the timing here, Sam? Uh, many have said uh, as we're coming out of a pandemic, obviously uh, three stages to learning next September, depending upon where we are. Is this the right time to be implementing a new math curriculum? Absolutely. We need to provide our students with the best possible uh, curriculums in order to ensure that they can succeed. And I think now more than ever, we see the need to uh, give our our students the cutting edge uh, capabilities that they're going to need uh, to succeed and to thrive. And that's why we are planning for the 2021 school year. We've released our plan for the resumption of classes, and, and uh, we're also going to be uh, providing support to our educators by providing webinars and, and resources to introduce the math, new math curriculum starting in June. But again, it, it, you have to look at what we've seen over the past 15 years with math scores uh, declining under the previous government. We can do better, uh, and we can't wait in doing better. We have to make sure that we're uh, improving uh, our system for the sake of our students. It's something we committed to in the last election. It was a very important part of our education platform, uh, and it's something that parents expect and students deserve. Uh, Minister Lecce uh, talked earlier in the week about what uh, school could like uh, could look like come September and, and how you're preparing for various options uh, and such. Uh, one of the experts that we had on reminded us that uh, there was a lot of uh, contract upheaval prior and rotating strikes and such prior to uh, COVID-19. How difficult is it going to be to implement 
something like you're suggesting this September. Where are we with these, with teacher negotiations and unions and such? Are they on board with all of this? We have ratified uh, all the labour negotiations. So uh, actually, in the middle of a pandemic still, we were able to uh, negotiate and and come to a conclusion of those deals with the various uh, labour organisations, teachers unions as well. Uh, So we're very pleased that teachers unions have come on board and and, uh, we have deals now with all the unions. Uh, But moving forward, we recognise that we need to make sure we're supporting our educators as they uh, as they provide this new math curriculum. And so we are going to be supporting them uh, already starting this month with uh, resources to introduce the new curriculum as well as educator webinars. Uh, and we're going to be putting in place supports uh, this fall as well. Uh, but we recognize that uh, they we have very skilled educators, very adaptive educators, and we're confident they're going to be able to work well with this curriculum. We also did develop this over two years in consultation with parents, math educators, uh, academics and math education experts, as well as critical experts. So very comfortable uh, with uh, the ability of our educators to to use this curriculum uh, to provide a a world-class education to our kids. Sam Osteroff has been with us, MPP Niagara West and Parliamentary Assistant to the Minister of Education. Sam, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you, Scott. Be well. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Mary Reed, Assistant Professor, Teaching Stream Program Coordinator, Master of Teaching in Elementary and Secondary Education, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Doing very well, thank you. Uh, your thoughts on a new math curriculum. Are we going in the right direction here? Absolutely. This was in the making for a very long time. Since 2005, we haven't had a new curriculum in the last 15 years, and um, very welcomed, and I'm actually very happy with many of the uh, changes and the additions. What happened? How did we get off the rails? So the curriculum was very dated, and there were some lots of missing pieces. For example, the new curriculum has the social and emotional learning as a strand in itself, and that is so foundational to math learning. When students are feeling anxious or they're not feeling confident or they don't consider themselves as um, a mathematician, then they're not going to want to learn math. So there's a whole entire strand that's devoted to those affective variables, which is so welcome, and it's research-based, so very happy about that. Did we get away from the basics? I don't... You know what? I I heard... Or is that just technology? Yeah, I heard the Premier talk yesterday that this is going towards the basics. And from what I gathered and my, my initial scans of all the materials that were released yesterday, there's a lot of good, rich problem solving. They talk about the importance of the math processes and time to really engage in, in solving problems. And yes, there are some adjustments to when timetables are being taught. So one example is that in grade four, students need to have immediate recall of up to 10 times 10, for example. And prior to that, it was nine times nine. And I always thought, if you're going to learn nine times nine, may as well go up to the 10 times tables because the 10 times tables are so easy, right? Yeah, that's the easiest Um, one. (laughs) Exactly. So there, you know, and, and there's some... Um, uh, the addition and subtraction of fractions, so operation of fractions. It's beginning in grade five, whereas that was introduced in grade seven. So it's two years earlier. Um, Working with integers, which is basically negative numbers in in your number system, is beginning in grade six now instead of um, in the old curriculum is grade seven. So these are just minor uh, adjustments and uh, and based on the research that, that students are ready age-appropriate to learn these concepts. Now, when the Premier says memorization, there's no word in the curriculum that says kids need to memorize. Mm. There's a difference between memorizing without understanding and operational fluency. That's what yeah. we want, you know? And you might mm-hmm. say all oh, the same difference. It's, not, it's very different. When you yeah. memorize it's critical thinking. Absolutely. You want to do that mental gymnastics with understanding in your head. And obviously, we want to have that computational automatic recall. That is so important, that mental math. And that is, I think, more emphasized in this new curriculum, which is a good thing. 
Uh, also, uh, mentioning of financial literacy and budgeting and such, which again seems very basic, but a smart idea, great idea. I like the idea. From what I read about the financial literacy, it's really about civic engagement and really being a critical consumer. So those are some of the big ideas of financial literacy, as well as obviously learning about money and budgeting. And we've always had a financial literacy document. And but for the first time now, it is actually embedded into a, a curriculum document, which is math, because they do closely connect. So it is obvious to have it in the math curriculum. Uh, what about the timing of all of this? Uh, some have said this is not the time to do this during a pandemic. Others will say, you know, everything's changing. Now's the perfect time to do it. Uh, thoughts? I... You know, I live with somebody who's working with the district and they're working day and night, literally trying to plan for the fall. And it is poor timing because teachers are working really hard and there are we're in the midst of a pandemic. And to really implement a new initiative thoroughly and in a rich way, in an authentic way, it, it needs to be done where the in ideal situations and i i'm not sure how this is going to be rolled out there's going to be webinars apparently um but i do trust teachers they are very hard-working individuals and they will take it upon themselves to review the documents and and support each other in their professional learning communities and i also trust the leaders that we have across our districts the principals the superintendents who will be working very hard to make sure that this is implemented in authentic ways. But ideally, if we didn't have this pandemic, I think this would be a great way to to, um, have a a math curriculum embedded in in everyday uh, schools, um, classrooms. But unfortunately, we're, we're in these unprecedented times. Do we have a choice here? Is it better to hold off a couple of years? Ideally, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. I, I would have probably held off because things are so chaotic right now. And I would have just said, listen, here it is. Take a look at it. We don't have to implement it right away, but maybe implement it with schools that are really gung-ho, who, who, want, who are the leaders in, in mathematics, and then learn from them. I would have probably implemented it in a much more um, gradual release as opposed to thou shalt everyone all at once only because we don't want to implement this um, and do more damage right we we want to implement it in a, in a very thoughtful way uh, your thoughts on school resuming back in September obviously the education minister has given probably three different options or a combination of, of two uh, because it still is quite a ways away we, we don't know exactly what position we will be in at that point but your thoughts on on what we're about to embark in, in uh, embark on in September it's going to be unprecedented it's not going to be the same as usual there may be a hybrid model. It might be all virtual learning. Obviously, it's all dependent on the health regulations. I would have liked the ministry to have provided more parameters and more bound and you know more details. Um, Leche has basically told all district leaders, "Do it yourself," and then um, and then he kind of takes the um, credentials for that. You know, uh, there's really a lot of lack of and limited direction from the ministry. So it's the district leaders who are working literally day and night weekends. I have a partner who worked all day on Sunday, Father's Day, because of deadlines. And and, and it would have been, I think, a lot easier and cohesive and consistent if there was more direction from the ministry. What sort of direction? What what more information? What more direction uh, could be supplied that could be uh, that could be supplied at this time? Uh, parameters for the models. So you know, are we doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, deep cleaning Friday, like deep cleaning Wednesday? All all of that. Do we know that now, though? Just simply because we don't know what we're we moving towards at this point. Yeah, we have no idea. Yeah, there, yeah. everything basically everything is being uh, developed from scratch and obviously working with really important stakeholders like 
union leaders and and other uh, members of the education. You know, uh, it's it's we're not. Is everybody nimble that. enough for all of this, Doctor? Do you think? Or are we up I to the task? So. Yeah, I really hope so. I hope yeah. so. And when we get through this, then we'll have lots of uh, stories to tell our grandchildren. That's for sure. I said the same to my COVID-19 <laughs> class of 2020 graduate last night. Uh, they'll remember this forever. Uh, Dr. Mary Reed has been with us, Assistant Professor, Teaching Stream Program tr- uh, Coordinator, Master of Teaching in Elementary and Secondary Education. Mary, thanks for the time and insight. Hope you're doing well. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. It is 2.25 News on the Way. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.